Hello, and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got my co-host, Darcy, with me. How you doing, Darcy? I'm making it. I'm on the mend, getting better, trying to get over this cough that I can't get seem to get rid of, but I'm, I'm here. Why'd I'm you give it. me your cold, Darcy? I don't know. I just passed it through the internet. <laughs> I don't know how, to, how I did that, but it's, it's some new special fancy technology thing. In 2021, we can give each other colds over the internet. It's interesting, though. We were just talking about this the other day, but um, I was reading an article from like Yahoo or something where they were talking about how these super colds are coming through because we've been isolated mm-hmm. and wearing the mask and all that, so we haven't been getting the colds and the flu like we normally would. And so now that we're back out in the open without the masks mm-hmm. and whatnot, now we're being exposed to these colds and flu, which is a normal colds and flu, but we've lost the natural immunity because we haven't been around yeah. it for like yeah, a Yeah, I definitely feel years. like I've lost some of my immune response because I used to So never they're normal get colds, sick. but like we just yeah. don't have the immunity that we used to have. Yeah. Or the ability to fight it in the way that we had before COVID. Mm-hmm. So it's really yeah, interesting. I just feel like, Bleh. Yeah. I definitely have been struggling with this for like two weeks now and mm. I'm over it. <laughs> so yeah. over it. Um, anyway, um, an update on the Kristen Smart case. I know this came out a few weeks ago, but for some reason I forgot to, to cover it. And I think we may have talked about it and said, oh, let's make sure to cover it. But judge denies adding rape charges in the Kristen Smart case. Oh, I did not see this. Yeah, so San Luis Obispo, uh, this was July 14th. Judges denied a prosecution's bid to file rape charges against the man accused of killing California State student Kristen Smart, who went missing 25 years ago. In case you want a little bit more detail on that, we did cover this case like 10, 15 episodes back. Mm-hmm. Um, The San Luis Obispo District Attorney's Office has sought to add two rape charges for offenses they say were committed in Los Angeles County after Smart disappeared to the complaint filed against Paul Flores and Smart's death. The judge ruled against the DA's motion and scheduled a preliminary hearing in the murder case for August 2nd. In Los Angeles County? Yeah. Huh. Um, And it's probably the San Luis Obispo District Attorney's Office... The offenses were committed in Los Angeles County after Smart disappeared. But um, Paul Paul Flores, now 44, was the last person seen with Smart May 25th, 1996 at California's Polytech State University in San Luis Obispo, where they were both freshmen. Prosecutors say that Flores killed Smart while trying to rape her in his dorm room after he'd agreed to walk her home from a party where she'd gotten intoxicated. Her body's never been found. The father of Paul Flores, Ruben, has pleaded not guilty to accessory after murder and Smart's death. The father and son were arrested in April after investigators at the San Luis Obispo County Sheriff's mm-hmm. Department found biological evidence indicating that Smart was once buried under Ruben Flores' deck behind his home in Arroyo Grande. Attorneys for the Floreses have denied that their client committed any wrongdoing. A lawyer for Paul Flores on Wednesday called the prosecution's attempt to add the rape charges a publicity stunt. So... It's not really clear. What in the world would have happened in L.A. County? It's not really clear. And I'm sure that they're kind of holding it close yeah. to the vest. But in any case, they were denied. So it's not like it's we're ever going to know the history on that. But you know he has that history of being a bad dude. Right? You talked about it. Right. He has that history. But, like, the fact that they're trying to make it, they're adding it to his charges related to Kristen Smart make it seems like make it seem like he committed a crime against Kristen Smart in L.A. County. No, but it says for offenses that were committed in Los Angeles County after Smart disappeared. So they're un- it's unrelated yeah. to Kristen so Smart. So why would they try to add that 
to oh, the Kristen Smart that's, case. That's what I'm thinking. Like, that's where I like it. It made me think that they were trying to say it was related. So that's I don't like that was confusing. I don't know. I don't know why they would try to add them, unless they're trying to show you know a, a pattern. But can you show a pattern of behavior after? The offense that you're already charging. Well, if he's got this pattern of behavior, then they could say, let's, we can use it for the prior case as well, because this is his pattern. But it's interesting that they're trying to add charges, and that's probably why it was yeah. denied. I can see using that for evidence to prove the person's behavior was a pattern or yeah. this is their characteristics. And even that is not allowed some of the time as well. But to right. try to add charges after the person disappeared for somebody else yeah. into the same complaint seems really weird. And it's no wonder that it was denied. I wonder if it was somebody, because, you know, he had, the, there were those stories that we talked about of the women that dated him after Kristen Smart. Yeah. And I wonder if it, any of their charges are related to them. I just wonder if these people within, and I can see them trying to add, I can see the reasons they would try to add. Because then they can depose these people and maybe, maybe mm. he said something, maybe his behavior around that time period was suspicious and they want to use that in the current case by deposing these witnesses. Mm -hmm. But again, court has rules for a specific reason right. and typically they don't allow other cases to be brought. It's not like this is a class action lawsuit. The only time that you really yeah. have other charges brought in against other people is in a class action type of a situation. And this is not right. It. So I can understand the reasons for denial, but it, it all of it is interesting. Um, and again, yeah, there's I, that I pattern the reasons of reasons for denial. Yeah. I don't understand the reasons that they tried to do it in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Try to add it in the first place. Right. So they can depose the witnesses and get it on record in this case. Do they have to add charges for that, though, or can they not just, like, subpoena them? Well, if those people have nothing to do with the current case, then they, they wouldn't be able to be in, to involve them. Oh, uh, okay. And if it's a case like a rape of somebody else, mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with the Kristen Smart case. But if they depose them in the current case, then they could use that as evidence. Hmm. Okay, but, interesting. Yeah, they were denied. Interesting so. tactic. We're not going to hear about it, but... Yeah. I'm sure they'll probably interview them, and they'll probably do a People magazine interview with these victims or whatever. And I will read it. <laughs> right. Um, okay. Main case for the day. And it's funny. Ever since I moved to Illinois, like, I've been finding so many Chicago cases or Illinois cases that it's crazy. It seems like really? every other case I hear on podcasts right now is an Illinois case. Hmm. But this is an Illinois case. Happened outside of Chicago. And it happened September 1993. Okay. September 25th, 1993 to be exact. This was way back when, way back when I was in high school. We're going to take a little trip to my new hometown. Um, we're in Bucktown. It's a small but trendy neighborhood of Chicago near, near Lake Michigan. Gunshots ring out into the night along with the unmistakable sound of squealing tires. Mm. The nearby neighbors leave their homes and find the body of Robert Odubain laying on the ground. He was 31 years old and had been shot twice in the head. Jesus. He was lying on the floor of his own garage. This was pretty brutal. Okay. Police look into what he'd been doing that day, and they see that he'd spent the day with his dad, and he'd only been home a short while. He was heading out again when he met his own untimely demise. 
When the police got to the scene, they could see that the garage door was open and no one had seen anyone arriving or leaving. So this is they like... only heard the gunshots. Is this like a suburb? So like this is a house, like a standalone house? Yes. Okay. It's like a nice area. Okay. It's like a little suburb of Chicago. And Chicago has many little suburbs. Yeah. So his keys, wallet, and car were all gone. And police... We're used to this kind of thing in the in the Chicago area, mm-hmm. and they presumed this was just they presumed this was just another robbery gone bad. When they found the car nearby, they ruled out a carjacking. But they started investigating, and they began with Robert O'Debane and his own past. Robert lived with his girlfriend at the time of his death. Her name was Catherine Suh. The two had known each other for quite a while. Um, and Catherine claimed to be out with a friend on the night of Robert's murder. Okay. Nowhere near the crime scene. Okay. And that checked out. She was interviewed and she seemed pretty distraught. She also claimed that Robert was a heavy gambler and that he owed a lot of money to some bad mm-hmm. people. So she's kind of laying the groundwork. I had nothing to do with this. I have an alibi. Yeah. I know who maybe did. Right. Evidently, Catherine and Robert also owned a nightclub it was called metropolis it was north of chicago and the police questioned the staff there to see if there were any disgruntled employees that could have done the shooting okay the club was super posh and expensive just kind of from first glance Mm -hmm. uh the employees spoke very highly of robert and said they enjoyed working with him he was kind and honest But he and Catherine were not super familiar with running a nightclub slash bar, so there were some questions. Both of them needed a lot of help. Okay. Right. Like with the business side of things. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. They just weren't familiar with what it takes. And it's a complicated kind of a thing to run a bar. There's a lot involved. But at the time of Robert's death, the bar had been open for less than a year, and there were signs of financial strain. Hmm. At one point, they eliminated food service and began pulling back to save money. Others say they heard about or saw drug trafficking and gambling activity at the metropolis. Mm. Some employees left after seeing this kind of activity because they wanted to be safe. Yeah. Right. There was one thing that seemed certain, and it was that Robert's death had been a targeted killing. Okay. Like, this was not random. Okay. Okay. But was it personal? Or was there some sort of a business motive? Police decide to dig a little deeper into Robert and Catherine's past. And according to the Chicago Tribune coverage, which was pretty extensive at the time, Robert O'Debane was the oldest child in a family of five. He was also super resistant to the idea that he should have any kind of special responsibility because he has younger siblings and he's the oldest. Hmm. He decided not to go the typical college route and took on a series of random jobs. He was a very hard worker who was known to be reinventing himself frequently. Okay. Okay. But other than his varied job history, there really was nothing that stood out about his past. So the police then look at Catherine Suh, his girlfriend, Mm -hmm. again. When the two first met, Robert was in his mid-20s and Catherine was just a little past 18. Her family had come to the U.S. in 1976 from South Korea when she was just a child. Her father was a banker and her mother was a pharmacist back home in Korea, and both were very prosperous. They had good jobs. They had a good life. Mm -hmm. Catherine and her older brother lived in a pretty charmed 
kind of existence until about the age of three when Catherine's older brother, who was eight at the time, was at a friend's house playing. He stumbled, fell over a railing, and died from his oh injuries my gosh. shortly after. Yeah, which is just horrific. My kind of adoptive little brother had fallen out of an upstairs window when he was three. Uh-huh. And he lived, but what they went through because it was from the second right. floor what they he fell into a cement slab oh my god down below and he had to learn how to walk oh again god. how to talk again like it was it was horrific yeah. it was just it was really 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 bad um but this little boy unfortunately did not make it and the family was devastated um but at the same time it was really important to Catherine's father that he have a son okay so he told his wife that she needed to give him another son, ASAP, or he would divorce her. Okay. Yeah, sounds like a real gem of a guy. Anyway, I was trying they have to withhold judgment on that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. They have another son. His name is Andrew. That was lucky. And when this little guy was just a toddler, the family moves to Chicago. Okay. Okay. Catherine's parents pick English names, as many Asian immigrants did mm-hmm. at that time. They choose Ronald and Elizabeth. Um, I think Catherine's dad kind of liked the idea of Ronald Reagan Mm. back then, that Mm all-American kind of a hero kind of a guy. But they had a nice house in a nice neighborhood, and they opened a convenience store. But they're immigrants, and they don't speak English very well, Mm -hmm. so they need Andrew to translate. Mm -hmm. And he helps his family as much as he can, translating for them. He goes to the store after school, where he dutifully kind of helps his father until closing time, and then he goes home, does his homework, and starts it all over again wow. the next day. So he's like the good son. What a right? childhood, yeah. Yeah, he's doing everything he possibly can to help his mom and dad succeed and translate for yeah. them, and he's all the while, all the while he's doing well in school, and, and like he's well-liked. Kathleen, is it Kathleen? Catherine. Catherine. Is she not, because um, she moved to the States when she was a baby. Did I'm she gonna, not pick I'm up? I'm going to get into oh, it. okay. I'm, I'm going to get into Sorry. it. Sorry. Okay. Um, I always do that. Catherine, on the other hand, is not a good kid. She's not disciplined or obedient. She picks up English very quickly, uh-huh. but she was a known troublemaker mm. who, despite her parents' wishes, would stay out late, hang out with the wrong sorts of people, and date non-Korean boys, which is a no-no in a lot of very traditional Korean communities. They want their daughters to yeah. marry Korean boys. Yeah. May not be that way anymore, but during this time period, that was the case. She didn't do well in school, despite the fact that she picked up English pretty well. Um, And this was a kind of a cardinal sin in the Saw house. Mm. And Ronald Saw reportedly beat Catherine severely for this infraction on a regular basis. So he's very patriarchal because he's like, I need to have a son. Oh, yeah. And like you have to do make make a grade and like make me proud. And he's oh, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Absolutely. And Catherine is very rebellious. And she's like, you know what? Screw you and your rules. I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. She, at one point, she fought back, and she drew blood. Whoa. And this was so unforgivable to her father that she was doused in gasoline, and the dad was about to light it when the mother stepped oh in. Oh, my God. Yeah, just, it sounds horrific. Like, it was definitely a very tense, traumatic kind of a situation for Catherine yeah. growing up in that household because she butted heads with her family on a constant basis yeah. and she was unwilling to do what they wanted her to do. She was very just rebellious. Yeah. But like um, gasoline and lighting a match that, I mean, that goes so far crazy. beyond yeah. any just, type of discipline. That seemed very, very, very abusive. Yeah. 
when Catherine was 16, Ronald was diagnosed with stomach cancer. Okay. And 11-year-old Andrew stayed with his father at all times until he passed he's away. Probably he's probably really close ever, to him, yeah. Yeah, very, very obedient and caring and, and wanted to help his parents in any way that he possibly could. So Elizabeth then, the mother, takes over as the sole breadwinner. And in order to do this, she opens up a dry cleaning business. Okay. But she also depends on Andrew pretty extensively mm-hmm. to help with the translating and running the business. Um, in sharp contrast to this, though, Catherine was even more wild and constantly fought with her mother. However, Catherine started dating Robert Odebane about two years after her father passed away. Okay. She was 18 and he was 20, right? Mm-hmm. If you recall. Yeah. Then, and one morning in a northern part of Chicago called Evanston, which is also another little suburb, uh, a customer makes the gruesome discovery at the Suh family dry cleaning business. It was October 6th, 1987. Elizabeth is found. She had been stabbed to death and was found in the back of the store under a pile of clothing. She'd been stabbed nearly 40 times, which immediately when I heard this, I was like, that's overkill. It's got to be someone who knows her. Absolutely. Right. That's immediately being that we listen to true crime and all that. But the Evanston police investigate this and quickly determine it's a robbery gone bad. No. No suspects could be found. Six years later, police changed their opinion and say that now believe it was more of a personal killing because of the type of wounds, the position, the number, and the fact that she was buried purposefully under a pile of clothes. Yeah, a random robber isn't going to stick around and stab you 40 times. And then bury your clothes to hide That's way too much time to spend at a crime scene for a random crime. Exactly. This fact by the police, this new kind Mm -hmm. of suspicion, seems like Catherine might be involved. But um, Robert Odebane said he was with her. He gave her an alibi that he'd been with her all night. She had been with him and she had not left. But... Police are now starting to wonder if Catherine's mother's death and Robert Odebane's death are related. Hmm. Police tried to unwind the story even more, and they find that after Catherine's mom was killed, Robert and Catherine set up a little house and decided to take care of Andrew by being a family. Okay. According to friends and family, Robert and Andrew got along really good, and Robert was good at being a father figure to Catherine's little brother. He also helped Andrew work on cars, and Catherine became his legal guardian. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, it appeared that Catherine had turned over a new leaf and was determined to ensure that her little brother Andrew had the sort of idyllic childhood that she'd never had. So Andrew excelled in school, played football, got good grades, was involved in student council, and was very popular. So much so that he eventually became the student body president. At the same time, the little family inherited about $800,000 from Elizabeth Suh's estate upon her tragic Mm. death. And Andrew then got to go to Loyola Academy, a prestigious private school in the area. Okay. While Andrew was getting a top-notch education, Catherine and Robert started investing in real estate, and they were flipping houses in Chicago. Oh, okay. So this is like when they buy the bar and all of that stuff, right? Okay. Yeah. So this allowed them to move to a nicer, larger home in Bucktown, and Andrew got a full-ride scholarship to Providence College in Rhode Whoa. Island. And then Catherine and Robert opened up the nightclub Metropolis with the money they'd gotten from both the inheritance and flipping Providence houses. is a really good school. Yeah. Anyway, excuse me. Catherine, once a rebellious young immigrant from South Korea, now has made a name for herself. 
She's well-dressed. She's often known to wear head-to-toe black, red lipstick, sleek hair, high heels, stylish hats, fur coats, etc. You know that 80s and early 90s thing, that look. Um, In her mid-20s, she seems to be super savvy to those around her. She's charming, persuasive, but firm. And also, she serves vodka shots to almost everyone around her and instructs the bartender to give her water. So she's kind of... Oh, that's a Charlie Manson vibe. A little bit of a manipulative side. Mm. Yeah, she's got a little bit of a manipulative vibe there. This seems harmless at first, but then they're like, okay, is this a trend that could potentially cause her to be a danger Mm -hmm. to someone? Um, And then they start to kind of ask a little bit more pointed questions. And it's evident that the relationship between Catherine and Robert had quickly deteriorated and what started out as a loving and exciting relationship had turned into heated arguments Mm. punctuated with shouting and door slamming. And Andrew was not at the house, right? Andrew was at school. Yeah. Yeah. He was off at Providence College in Rhode Island getting his full ride scholarship on kicking butt. Um, Catherine had become very unpopular at work because she would easily lose her temper and appear irrational and difficult a good portion of the time. She attempted to gossip and she was always trying to catch Robert cheating. When police dig a little deeper, they discover that Robert was seeing someone else. Hmm. When they asked Catherine how much of this she knew about, she confirmed that, yeah, I knew it was over between us. I was also seeing someone and we were going to sell our assets, divide the money, and go our separate okay. ways. Which, red flag, red yeah. flag. Because she doesn't want to share. Catherine confirmed she was also seeing other people and had been with someone else, that, that someone else, the night Robert so, was killed. So he's her alibi. Uh-huh. She claimed they'd gone out for dinner and drinks and that she'd spent the entire night with him. And this checks and out. And that was also her alibi when her mother was murdered. Yeah, she was with, with her boyfriend. boyfriend yeah. Yeah. Robert's new girlfriend claims that on the night of the murder, she'd been on the phone with him when Catherine called. So this was landline. Uh-huh, time yeah, 93. Then, back in 93. So like, you know, when the line, you got to click yep. over, you got to hit the, and then you have the second line that picks up. That's what okay. happened. And he clicks back on the, the first call, call waiting, <laughs> which is so funny. Um, tells his new girlfriend that Catherine had car trouble and he needed to go get her downtown. Why didn't she call her boyfriend? Exactly. So this new tip presented problems because Catherine insisted she hadn't talked with Robert on the night he died and that she hadn't been downtown. She would had been with her boyfriend and that checked out. So how could this be a thing? Clearly she'd lied to Robert and it indicated that Catherine had lured Robert to the garage on purpose. So she didn't kill him, but somebody else she knew did. Huh? Catherine comes in for another interview. She's calm, cool, and collected. She says she called Robert to warn him that his life was in danger. You know how you do. Yeah. She basically said there's this Colombian dude named Juan that was after him for drugs and gambling. And be careful. Yeah, right. Is that the extent of the information (laughs) she's able to give? Pretty much. Cool. Uh, Police find absolutely zero evidence that this was a thing, despite Catherine's insistence otherwise. Then, according to police, Catherine offers to pay off the police to get them to close the case. I see no problems with that. That's what everybody, that's what a normal, innocent person would do. She's so shady. And they're like, um, no. Definitely illegal. Not going to happen. And they arrest her. (laughs) About six weeks after Robert's death, 
and they charge her with first degree murder. They're still putting the case together at that point, though. Like, because right. there's no evidence, because they still have to find the trigger right. person. They're still trying to figure out what exactly happened. They just now know that she, it's clear she's involved. It, she's yeah. involved, yeah. But who'd done the, that part since Catherine was nowhere near the crime scene that night? And it was verified, right? right? After searching through Catherine's phone records, police find that she had called her brother Andrew on <gasps> numerous occasions, more than was normal, more in the week leading up no. to the murder. So it increased pretty significantly in the week leading up to the murder. I don't want Andrew murder. to be involved. I like Andrew. Yeah. The chief of security at Providence College in Rhode Island confirms that Andrew Suh had signed himself oh, out of no. school a few, a few days before the murder. Andrew. It was all going He'd so He also well used... He'd also used fake tickets to fly to Chicago the day Robert was murdered. Which fake tickets? Can you imagine? Yeah, I try you that the time today. before security got all try, crazy. Definitely yeah. try that today. You're definitely on a one-way trip to Gitmo. I was like, wow, this is so old. You could never do yeah. that now. But anyway, um, he went. He used those fake tickets, right? Mm-hmm. And then he went back to school for about two months until Catherine was arrested. And then he flees. He'd been back in. He'd been back in school pretending like nothing happened. But when his sister got arrested, he took off. First going to California, then Texas, before federal agents nabbed him at Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, acting super shady. They're like, this guy looks highly suspicious. Let's get him. If there's one place you're going to act shady, I wouldn't suggest an airport. Yeah, no. I mean, this was Well, that was prior to September 11th, but yeah. still. If he but was general, acting shady enough for them to nab him prior to September 11th, you yeah. know there's an issue, In right? general, try not to act shady at, a, at an airport. Yeah. In well, the United States. Exactly. Exactly. Chicago police arranged to pick him up at O'Hare, and they questioned Andrew Suh. He immediately confesses. Mm-hmm. I did it. Says he was the shooter, and his sister had convinced him to do the crime by pressuring him nonstop for weeks. Mm-hmm. Catherine told her brother that Robert was a bad man, and that he was gambling away all their money, and he was beating her and destroying their property, and the pressure was constant. So he was like, you have to help me with this. You have to do this. This right. is the only way to get out of this. Yeah, he thought he was saving her life. Yeah. Andrew yeah. must die. Or excuse me. Uh, Robert must die, and he need, and Andrew needed to do this for his poor, defenseless sister, which not so much. She sounds pretty brutally like vicious on her own. Andrew finally agreed, and Catherine planned the whole thing, pretty meticulously: the gun, the hiding in the garage, etc. And despite his confession, Andrew pleaded not guilty, as did his sister. Um, Catherine made bail, what? and she went to all the hearings. Yeah, this is the nineties. Oh, right, 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 right. She went to all the hearings, but, but then took off on the day her trial was set to begin. Oh, boy. Who could have seen that coming? Right. Investigators tracked her to a luxury condo in Chicago's lakefront. She stayed in Chicago? No, here's the deal. They tracked her, and they found out that prior to the trial start date, she'd been living in Chicago in this luxury condo on the lakefront. She'd been hiding in plain sight, going by the name Kasha Kane. Uh- while there, she drove a Jaguar and dated a bunch of rich dudes. She sold the Jag the day before her trial was supposed to start and took off. So, like, she'd been kind of living this secret life. So, like, as soon as she got arrested and made bail, she went and lived in this luxury condo on the lakefront in Chicago, drove a Jag, and was, like, dating these rich dudes and pretending she was this prosperous real estate agent in Chicago. What? Yeah. Kasha Kane. That's... Mm. Okay. The judge puts a warrant out for her arrest and yeah. starts a trial in her absence, October 1995, which, you know, good. Yeah. Even though her brother refused to testify against her, the jury deliberated a couple of hours and found her guilty of first-degree murder. Bye! 
But she's still on the lam? She's gone. She's in the wind at that point. Mm. Andrew decides to go for a bench trial. And Probably for the smart. Lay, for the layperson out there, that means the judge will decide the verdict and not a jury of your peers. And there's a very calculated reason that it's often used instead of a jury trial. I think that they, sometimes they calculate that they can get more leniency if they go for a judge instead of a jury. Maybe they don't trust the jury of their peers. In any case, I think he did this in a very calculated way. Mm-hmm. But he was still found guilty of first-degree murder mm-hmm. and armed robbery. Both of them were found guilty of first-degree murder and armed robbery, and I believe both of them got like 20 or 30 years for the armed robbery and then life for the murder. Okay. Andrew was sentenced to 100 years behind bars. But Catherine was still... Yeah, where's Catherine? Deuces, gone. But in order to gain a little traction in finding her... The case gets featured on America's Most Wanted. Yes. Remember that show? Remember that freaking delightful show? Absolutely. I love America's Most Wanted. So she's on America's Most Wanted. John Walsh, bless his little heart, talks about her and plasters her picture all over the place. She's a very interesting looking young woman as well. And that's how, um, uh, what's his ass in Alaska got caught? Israel Keys, right? Mm, I'm not sure. No, no, Um, no. He was a credit card. Never mind. Uh, John List got, I think, was the yes, one that that's was what, found. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, um, January 1996, four months into her later days, this woman named Tiffany Escada is hanging out in Honolulu with her boyfriend, Kelly Beck, when she sees this episode about Catherine's... Uh, she's freaked out. Immediately she packs her stuff and tries to take off. As you can probably tell... Tiffany was Catherine. Yeah. And she told Kelly something happened with her family and took off. She said she needed to get back, help out, get the heck out of Dodge ASAP, etc. She probably had all kinds of little excuses. She seems like she's a pretty fantastic actress. I mean, does she, though? Somebody called in the tip, though. And I don't think it was her boyfriend. I think it was a friend of her boyfriend's who heard about all this. And maybe the boyfriend said something. Anyway, Tiffany slash... Kasha slash Catherine has a 48-hour lead on authorities, though. Yeah. Before they called that tip in, right? So she's had 48 hours to be like, deuces, I'm out again. Police plaster her picture everywhere in Honolulu and discover she had not left the island yet. Are you kidding? We got got this. So despite the fact that it was kind of like low-key tech era back then, they can still tell if she's left the island, even though what's to stop her from doing it under... A false name. I was going to say, yeah, back then you could fly under, like, any name you wanted, right? Since she seems pretty good at that sort of thing. Yeah. Kasha Kasha Kane. (laughs) Sounds like a soap opera name. It does. About two months later, Catherine calls Chicago prosecutors from Oahu and tries to cut herself a deal. Ever clever. Good idea. Ever trying to manipulate everyone around her. Police, as she's talking to the prosecutors, the police track her down. She was at a YWCA when she when they find her. She's on the like a payphone when they capture her. She's like super dirty and like wearing sweats and like just not yeah having got, a like, good situation. Being on the lam from law enforcement is not like a romantic no time. You can't clearly, like stay in nice hotels. Clearly, she was not living her best life. Yeah, <laughs> when they pulled her in. So the news records her capture, and she claims she's taken off because Chicago police were notoriously corrupt, which, I that mean... That is true. 
there's a little truth in that, but both, she's both just as corrupt. True. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, they're like, why did you run? She's like, because the police were corrupt. It's just crazy. Pop calling Kettle Black? What? Yeah. No. Um, anyway, both Catherine and Andrew are now in prison. Andrew has tried to reach out to his little sis, or his big sis, but she refuses to talk to him. She's like, I don't wow. have a brother. Go away. Never contact what me again. The... And F. she got life without parole, so it's not like she's ever going to get out and like be together with him. Yeah, but still, like to just be like, I don't, I'm not going to talk to you. I set you up for this, and I'm never going to talk to you again. Yeah, basically. I mean, perfectly aligned with everything. And I've heard he about didn't her so testify far, against her. He like, yeah, he's got loyalty. Shut. Like, she's clearly a bi, a biatch. Um, in a later interview, Andrew claims Catherine told him Robert killed his mom, and that was part of the reason why he had been influenced and convinced uh. to do what he did. Um, she pretty much had, like, pressured him hardcore, told him he had a duty to kill Robert in return because Robert's the one that killed the mom. Yeah. He acknowledges his part in all of this and says he was blinded by loyalty, and I think he's very sorry and very remorseful. It's like he acknowledges, yeah. I definitely did this. Like, I'm so sorry. And he's reached out to the family. Like, he's done everything I think mm -hmm. he needs to do. He's got an exemplary prison record. He's, like, a model prisoner. Yeah. Um, police now believe that Catherine killed her mom all those years ago. Yeah. Evanston police say Catherine had um, an alibi, and that alibi was Robert O'Dubain. Right. And that Catherine believed she had to get rid of him to hide that because they were breaking up. She couldn't let that loose end hang out. Mm. You know what I mean? Because he was mm -hmm. proof in that. Um, they believe that was the real motive for the murder of Robert O'Dubain. Mm. To this day... No one has ever been charged with Elizabeth Suh's murder, but Evanston police have reopened the case and assigned a new officer on it because they, they want to reevaluate that. In the meantime, though, Andrew's case has been taken on pro bono by some local attorneys for nearly 20 years. They're advocating for a parole for him. They claim he has a clean record, community mm -hmm. support, and that he's remorseful and took responsible for his actions. Um, Interesting, because I guess there's a new law that now says that if you, anyone under the age of 21 committing a crime can be eligible for parole after serving 20 years of their sentence. Oh, really? So this is a new statute in Illinois. Okay. Um, and they're now saying we, they're trying, they're advocating for retroactive application of this to Andrew's sentence. Mm. Normally, the way it's written, he wouldn't be eligible for parole until 2032, but he's served 26 years at this point. And his attorneys are asking the judge to apply the new law retroactively. Um, it's a tough case for sure. Mm -hmm. They plan to file a post-conviction petition to apply the new law to Andrew's case and set him free. It's supposed to be filed September 2021, according to the latest information on this, the latest article. They believe that his sentence of 100 years was too long for the crime and circumstances. Um, Catherine is now in her 50s and is in the Logan Correctional Center in Illinois. She's never had any visitors and no contact with her brother. Interesting case. Yeah, I'm not completely against Andrew getting parole in this instance. I mean, from his perspective, he was a kid. <coughs> <coughs> he was in college. His mother has been murdered. His dad died when he was young. His mother's been murdered. The only family he has left is his sister. So, of course, he's going to latch on to her. Yeah. And then when she tells him all these things supposedly that her boyfriend is doing, of course he's gonna feel like I don't want to lose somebody else in my life. I can I can get to where he got to, you know what I mean? 
Well, the thing is, the family and the prosecutors, given the viciousness of this crime, he shot him twice in the head. Yeah. Like, waited for the guy, shot him twice in the head. They don't think he should ever get parole. I can, I mean, I can understand that, too. And I think, I mean, definitely the victim's family should have, you know, should carry weight. And, and I think what They've happens, never responded to his attempts to communicate okay. and, and apologize. Yeah. The family hasn't. Robert Odebeans. On the other hand, look at this kid, this Andrew guy exemplary prison mm -hmm. record, was well-liked, did well in school, no criminal history, nothing, you know, he's got the whole Korean community behind him, like, ready to support mm -hmm. him when he gets out. Like, there are reasons in this particular instance that you would look at him as a valid candidate for right. parole. Yeah, and I wouldn't say he, I wouldn't think he would be viewed as somebody who is a continued threat. Yeah, you know? I think he is eligible for parole. I don't think his case was life without parole. I okay. think hers is life without parole. Yeah. But I believe that he would be eligible for parole in 2032, Yeah. given his present circumstances. But I mean, they're trying to get him out earlier. Yeah. I mean, I think we've definitely talked about some cases where I'm like, uh, definitely those people should probably, like, I understand that you can't just say life without parole. They have to have a parole hearing, but they probably shouldn't get out. You know what I mean? I'm not no, he was 19 when he was convicted, too. Yeah, I'm too, not necessarily which, Although he's anything. a legal adult, and under normal circumstances, people that are minors when they get arrested have to be given mm -hmm. parole. But I, I think we've talked about this before, about brain function mm -hmm. and brain chemistry before a certain age that it's still developing, mm -hmm. and you're still you know, learning about impulses and things like that. And, and somebody at the age of 19 just isn't there yet. And, right? I mean, th that also is just like normative values. That doesn't even account for somebody who has gone through the trauma that he's gone through yeah at such a young age too you know what I mean so there's all those things to account for and I mean yeah I wouldn't think I mean he just that just that made me sad when you said that he was involved because he had so much going for him yeah I mean by all accounts he was an ex ex excellent student mm -hmm. like he was a student body president like yeah. his friends and people that he went to school with are just like shocked by yeah. this whole thing it just doesn't seem real yeah it's sad. It's it really, really sad. is sad because they, she took him down. She destroyed well, his life. His sister, his yeah. own sister did this to him. And, I mean, how many lives did she destroy? To, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, she destroyed her own family if she is, in fact, guilty of her mom's murder, which I, I would I think ar she argue is. that, yeah, she probably is. You know, she ruined her brother's life. She murdered Robert. She murdered her boyfriend because she needed to keep her alibi clean like I mean it's just well and the thing is there are many people too that say that like she blamed her mother for not standing up for, more for her when her father was beating the crap out of her growing up that, and that she just had tremendous amount of anger for, for that that's a that's a mitigating circumstance and I understand having anger you can't get from that to murder though that's not mitigating to me that's like more reason that she would be more apt to kill her mom like right but I guess I kind of mean mitigating in the sense of the anger I don't is think understandable there should be any leniency for her like she's no. a scheming conniving evil I don't think woman. so either I think it I think I, when I say that I guess I don't mean like legally mitigating I guess is kind of I use the bad term but I guess I guess I mean her anger in that instance would be understandable but not justified yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I look at just different, like, the Betty Broderick case versus right. this one. Like, yeah. women who kill. And it just seems like 
Catherine So was like very conniving and manipulative and like scheming and planning and yeah. like just doing so many shady things. She initiated Whereas, a lot of this stuff. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't things that were done to her. It was she yeah. did these things. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm looking at Betty Broderick. Betty Broderick was not innocent in it. She mm-hmm. was dr- she drove into his house. She yeah. left nasty messages. Like she contributed to the treatment that right. she received. And I don't think Catherine made it easy either. She wasn't an obedient, normal kid. She went out of her way to disobey her parents and to be bad. Well, she physically fought with her parents, yeah. at least with her and dad. Not trying to victim blame for that portion of it. I don't want to in any way apply, uh, any way imply that she deserved to be beaten or abused in that situation. Right. But at the same time, it's like that's not an excuse to kill somebody. Right. That's, that's the biggest thing. I mean, all of these things that happened to her, it does sound like she grew up in, a, in an abusive environment with her father, and maybe that led to some resentment with her mother, but it's still you still can't justify yeah. murder. And she got $800,000 out of it, so yeah. I, mean, I think she had every incentive to, yeah. like, And it's not eliminate. only, like, yeah, because, I mean, really, if, if that is, in fact, the motive of her murdering her boyfriend, she murdered her mom because she was angry over her mom not defending her in front of her dad. Well, then she murders her boyfriend because her boy because they're going to break up and then she's worried that her boyfriend's going to rat her out for murdering her mom. Like, it's well, all these had, things. She had multiple reasons for wanting to kill Robert. Right. But it's all, if, if that's the actual... Like, she'd have to split the assets. Like, she yeah. had financial gains. She had, like, revenge, yeah. alibi. And it's all like, just about, like, covering her. Like, it's about her, how she's treated and how it's yeah. in protecting herself. It's not, you know what I mean? She seems like a very selfish, self-centered person like i wonder like if she's been analyzed by psychologists at all i mean the thing is probably not because she's never going to be eligible for parole so like they're probably not really doing any mental mental health treatment for her but i'm kind of interested in her mental health breakdown and like what they would consider her whether is she a narcissistic personality is she you know does she have significant mental illness like what's her deal right i want to know yeah because it seems crazy that she would invent these whole new lives for herself and just go live as somebody completely different. Yeah. It does not seem normal at all. No. I don't yeah, definitely not. And she had people fooled, like the the server guy in Hawaii, like he totally thought she yeah. was Tiffany Escada and then well, you know, all these the guys guy she's she was, dating in Chicago and Yeah, they all think she's this yeah. prosperous, wealthy real estate agent and no one thinks anything different. Yeah. She's completely bamboozled and pulled the wool over their eyes Good in word. every possible way bamboozled. right yeah so interesting mm. stuff anyway anything else you want to add before we wrap it up for the day i don't that's all i got i thought you'd like that case it yeah, was just it was super, kind of unique um anyway um you can shoot us an email if you have any questions comments or suggestions or corrections or whatever you may feel just try to be nice um, we're at the BFD podcast at gmail.com. Darcy, what's our social media? Yeah, we are at the BFD podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. So we'll post pictures and show notes and all that good stuff there too. I couldn't really see any pictures of Robert Odebane, but I definitely found quite a few of Catherine. I like Suh that last name. Suh? No, Odebane. Odebane. Yeah. It's kind of badass. Yeah. Um, I did find a lot of pictures of Andrew and, um, Catherine, yeah. but Andrew is such a sympathetic person like when you see his picture it's just like you just oh so anyway um i will try to post some pictures of that into the instagram feed and please join us again next week when we talk more about weird wacky and wild cases good night podcast peeps stay safe keep it real and always live your very best life
Bye. Bye, guys.